Well, God, good morning. We're so grateful to be able to be here to worship with you today. We do know that you are the one who is reigning and ruling, and we come to just give you honor this morning. Thanks that we have just this ability to meet, this ability to meet in person and online. And God, I pray um, just for the week that we've had and the uncertainties that we face and some of the craziness that we have seen in our world, God, that you would just bring calm. Uh, God, that as we look at just... Uh, things that we don't understand, things that just are beyond what we would ever imagine could think or happen, Lord, that you would just help us to remember who is in charge. And God, help us help our eyes to be turned towards heaven. Man, help our thoughts and our affections be turned towards Jesus. Man, help our actions to be formed by the Bible. And God, that we would realize that we're citizens of heaven first, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Well, good morning, everybody. Ah, what a crazy week, huh? Wednesday was something else. You know, I was rocking along, doing my thing, ahead in work, and then all this broke loose. And then I'm like, well, you know, we feels like we should say something about it, right? Now, why would you change plans? Why would you change series? Why would you do that to address something like this? And let me tell you why before I get into it. Um, I think the reason why is because we want the church to be looked at as a place of hope. Come on, somebody. A place of answers, yeah, let's go. A place of truth, right? We want people to look and be able to turn here in times when things will be a little uncertain, when there's some confusion. And so we just put pause on in the epidemic so we could just kind of frame up uh, the world today and talk a little bit about what happened. You know, craziness, let's just, that's about all I can say about it. As you look at what happened and uh, people hanging from the balcony in the Capitol and uh, people killed in our nation's capital and uh, people chanting things that um, just are inappropriate, sinful, horrendous, right? I mean, just things that are going on that are crazy. And so how do we frame that up? What does this look like? And so today I just want to, you know, the, my, first, my first thought was, dear God, what's going on, right? And so today we're just going to talk about dear God, like, dear God, what do I do? Dear God, how do I think? Dear God, how do I frame this up? Dear God, what's my response? Dear God, what's your response to this? You know, um, we have to live in this kingdom while living for this kingdom. And I want to explain a little bit about, about kingdom, right? We have to live in this kingdom, this government, this world while living for his kingdom. Now, in the Bible, what we know is there's this thing called the kingdom of God. Let me hear everybody say kingdom. Kingdom. Like we, we have this thing called the kingdom of God. And what that means literally is God's rule and reign in our world. You may have heard the Lord's Prayer uh, growing up or at some point. It says, you know, um, that uh, your kingdom come. In other words, we want your will to be done here like it is in heaven. So God started his kingdom. His kingdom was inaugurated at his birth when Jesus came. That's when the kingdom started. But we know it's coming again, right? We know there's another coming. He's coming again a second time to establish his kingdom in the fullness. And in the meantime, we live in this gap. Well, we live in this kingdom, but we live for his kingdom. And we always want to be people whose lives are formed by the Bible. Amen? Like we want to be people whose lives and hearts and actions and attitudes and experiences are formed and shaped by the Bible. Why? Because the Bible tells us about Jesus. This is why. This is why. The Bible tells us about Jesus. And in an age when people don't know what to think, they don't know who to trust. Like, can we trust the media? Can we trust social media? The answer is no, come on right now. Um, can, can we, like, can I trust the political party? Can I trust the elect? Like, we don't know who to trust, what to think, where to go. We don't know, but we know this. We can trust God, amen? Like, we can trust God because he has a track record. 
God has a track record of goodness and grace. He has a track record of answers. He has a track record of hope. He has a track record of action. God has a track record so we can trust God and we can trust the Bible. So we want our lives and hearts and minds to be formed by the Bible. Now, you may be someone who's in the journey somewhere. Like you're spiritually unresolved, not sure where you are. You've just kind of tuned in or showed up, whatever, just to get some answers. And just so you know that we believe that we can find answers in the Bible, that it gives us everything we need for life and for godliness. So we thought, hey, let's just press pause and let's see what the Bible has to say about kind of the, the, the circumstances of our lives. Now, this isn't intended to really be a political statement about what happened last week, right? It's not intended to pick sides. It's not intended to, uh, you know, to, to try to paint a picture of which way you should think or which way you should vote. Although I will go on record as saying the actions last week were horrible, horrendous, horrific, all the other things that you can think of. But we do need to use this man as an example, a time to really kind of change our paradigm of thinking. Because I know some people, as soon as I said that horrible, horrendous kind of thing, you know, you were like, well, yeah, but what happened way back there? And what about this? And what about that? I'm gonna get to that in just a minute. So just hold on, right? And I know there's so many days, there's so many days you think, I wish I was a pastor and only had to work once a week. Today is not that day, is it? Right? Today is not that day, but I'm grateful to be here. Man, I feel the weight of these moments for, for us as a community, our impact in this community and our impact around the world. And I want us to be formed and I want us to be ready and I want us to be able to step in. And so we're going to kind of look at a couple of stories of the Bible today that kind of will help inform what we think about this. Um, as U.S. citizens, how do we live as citizens of heaven first? Let me pray again and then we're going to jump in. So God, we are grateful that we are citizens of heaven, can be citizens of heaven, that our allegiance can be somewhere else, that can't be shaken, man, can't be, can't be taken from us, God, and that we would step into this moment that you've given us, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, let's grab our Bibles. We're gonna go to Philippians, Philippians. Now, just a little bit of kind of Bible uh, history, how to teach the Bible. Um, in, in Philippians is uh, obviously a longer term for Philippi. Philippi was a city in the kingdom of Rome. It was a city in Rome. And Paul had started a church in Philippi. And so Paul is writing a letter to this church, hence the name Philippians. Now, now here's what's very interesting and very unique about this particular church. Philippi was actually an outpost for retired Roman soldiers, okay? So Roman soldiers retired from their duty and then they would move to Philippi. Now, now think about it. Roman soldiers who had given their, who had bled on the field of battle for their country, for their kingdom. Man, Roman soldiers did watch their friends die. Roman soldiers who had been paid by the Roman government. Roman soldiers whose lives had been built around the Roman government, the Roman empire are in Philippi. Do you think they could have been called patriotic? Come on. Right. You would think that they, Paul is writing this into an area that he knows has a lot of patriotic allegiance to the government of Rome. And in, in Philippians, if we look at chapter one, verse 27, it says this, it says, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now that word for manner of life is a word Polis, P-O-L-I-S, which means city, which means city. So, so you'll notice that word polis, what does it look like? Politician, it looks like politics, 
Paul is writing into the political situation of his day. Do I have to tell you the Bible always speaks to our current circumstances? Come on. Bible wasn't just written for what happened 2,000 years ago, but it applies today. So Paul's writing in this. And another translation for this particular verse goes like this. It says, above all, we must live as citizens of heaven. Citizens of heaven, citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news. So we live as citizens of heaven. Like this is our primary allegiance if we've begun to follow Jesus. Now we have to live as citizens of heaven while we live as citizens of the United States. Like there's obviously some things that we have in the United States that we need to obey the laws. We need to follow the authorities. We need to pay our taxes, right? We need to do these things. We need to vote. We need to be involved. We need to have a voice, but we have to do that with this mindset that we're, we're citizens of heaven first. Somebody say amen right there, right? We're citizens of heaven first. This is how we navigate times like this is to remember this, man. And what can happen is we can get so caught up in the chaos of what's happening. We can get so caught up in, in being a U.S. citizen that we miss being a citizen of heaven. And our allegiance can shift. Have you ever gotten caught up in something and you lost sight of the big picture? Like you got so caught up in something, you don't even know how it happened. You took one step, then you took two steps, and all of a sudden you just forgot reality. Like this used to happen to me all the time when my kids played high school basketball. Any parents in the room? Come on. Like, like I really believed that when I bought the ticket to get in the game, that on the back of it said, you are required to help the referees. Like I thought that's what it said. And when I would go, my wife would be there and she would do everything she could to help me from getting caught up in the moment. There were times she'd give me a blow pop so that my mouth would be preoccupied and couldn't say anything. Man, there are times when she would lean over and say, Stephen, you're a pastor in this community. Pull it together. And I would get caught up in the emotion of the game. I would get caught up in what didn't matter rather than cheering for my kids. I would help the referees. And listen, we have, we, we've been given a lot in this country. Amen, somebody? Listen, we, we've been given a lot. Listen, mo most people in here got an education here. Some of you went to public school and we'll teach you how to read later. Um, <laughs> jokes, I went to public school. Oh, that's not a good example, is it? Um, listen, you went education, jobs. Most of you in the room have, have a roof over your head because, because of this country. There's a safety net for certain people in this country. We have ability to save for retirement and we have this ability. And what we saw this last week look more like a third world country than our country. Come on. And so what we have to do is we have to remember we can't get so caught up in the comfort that this country provides us that we lose sight of the allegiance that we have. We can't get so caught up in that. Listen, we've got to care, but we can't be consumed. We've got to care, but we can't be consumed. Listen, there, there are certain issues we got to care about. There are certain issues we got to make a stand on. Man, there are certain issues that we have to let our voice be heard on. But there's a way to do it. And, and it's to do it with our eyes towards heaven. Listen, we should vote. And we should, we should, we should have Christians that run for office. Man, and if you're an elected official today, I, I feel sorry for you. But I also want to challenge you just in your integrity and in your honesty. And that the way you go about your business today. Man, if you're a Christian, if you say you follow Jesus and you're elected to public office, man, you have a higher call on your life than getting reelected. So I just want to challenge you with that. Now, now, we know that we're citizens of heaven and we got to think differently. And we can't attach our hopes to the United States now. We can't attach our hopes here. As, as good as this place is, like we, we can't attach. We've got a lot of problems. I think we know that. And people who have attached their hopes here, they're reaping the consequences right now. 
Because when you attach your hope here, man, the necessary outcome of that is going to be anxiety. Because there's going to come a time when your guy doesn't get elected or your lady doesn't get elected. There's going to be a time when your political viewpoint is out of favor. And if your hopes are attached to that, it's going to always mean darkness. It's going to always mean turmoil. It's going to always mean that you're up and down with the waves of the world. And we can't attach our hopes here. Now, we are citizens of heaven. So how do you do that? If you change your citizenship, what does that look like? Paul gives us an example over in chapter 2. Read with me. He says, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being a full accord in one mind. Now, now verse 1, Paul says, if there is any encouragement, if there is any comfort, if there is any uh, participation in the spirit, any affection or any sympathy. Let me ask you this. For those of you who, who follow Jesus, like, have you ever gotten any encouragement from the Lord? Have you ever been down and thought, God, thank you for lifting me up? Anybody? Come on, anybody online, like you're, you're like, yeah, I've been encouraged before. I've been encouraged by God's people. God's come alongside and, and offered me some encouragement before. Like if you've ever had any encouragement, Paul's talking to you. He says, if you've ever had any encouragement, and he goes on to say, um, any comfort, any comfort from love. Anybody ever been comforted in a difficult time? Man, I'm looking at some of you. I know you have been. Like anybody been going through some difficulties, some painful experiences, some tragedy, man, God comforted you, right? This is, Paul's talking to you here. He's talking to me here. Any, any participation in the spirit, meaning any friendship. Anybody got any friends by knowing Jesus? Come on. Anybody got some people in their life that make them better and challenge them, that come alongside? And then he goes on to say any affection and any sympathy. Then he says, complete my joy. Listen, we've all... If we've had any of this, Paul says this, complete my joy. Verse 2, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord with one mind. So if you notice the words that Paul is using here, he says the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of one mind. So it seems like Paul's talking about us having some kind of unity here, doesn't it? Like Paul's talking about us thinking some things together. You have to ask yourself, like, like what do I think? How am I supposed to think in this? What is it that my mind's supposed to go to? And what Paul is saying, man, we got to fix our mind on something we all have in common. And that's the gospel, right? That's the name of Jesus. He says, have some unity that goes into that. Fix our mind. Now, now what can happen is that we, we all live in this echo chamber. And, and we, you know, if you go to, we've all had this experience that, man, you go to your Facebook ad and what, what, what pops up, you go to your Facebook page, your social media, something that you were just talking about or thinking about buying. You ever notice that? Happens all the time. And what can happen is they have algorithms, obviously, that are, that are going to make that happen. And we think, well, everybody thinks like that. Everybody thinks like I think. And the reality is that's not true. And we live in this echo chamber and we forget to fix our mind on the things that God wants us to fix our mind on. And Paul says we have to be of the same mind. And that same mind is we have to have our eyes on the gospel. Now, unity does not mean uniformity. Anybody realize that? Right? Unity doesn't mean uniformity. Guess what? There's some things you and I disagree on. It could be choice of clothes. I have no idea. But there are some things that we disagree on. But there are some things that we agree on. The big things we agree on the big things we have unity around. And that is the gospel. Paul is saying we have to have the same mind. And if there's anything that describes our country today, it's division. Amen. 
if there's anything that describes what's happening, amen. Do you feel comfortable going out and talking about politics in the public sphere with your friends right now? No. If you did, you need some help. Like, don't do that. But we have division. Paul says that we can have unity. We fix our minds. Listen, when heaven is your home, you don't pick sides. You pick Jesus. Hey, let's do this one again. If heaven is your home, you don't pick sides. You pick Jesus. And we need to learn what it means. Yeah, come on. Now, this isn't just cult-like conformity. We just all do the same thing. But it's Christ-like unity. It's not cult-like conformity. And cults say you got to do this thing this way and at this time in this manner. That's what cults do. And but what Christ says is we can have the same mind. Listen, just look at the power of the church. Like how, who in the world could grab so many diverse people with so many differing opinions, with so many different backgrounds, with so many different thoughts about life and change the world? Like this is the power of the church. Our differences actually make us stronger, not weaker, if we have the same mind and we're running the same play, right? So we have to fix our mind, Paul says. Let me ask you this, where are you fixing your mind? Like what is fixing your thoughts these days? Like, like when, when all this started to break out, which news station did you go to? Thank you for not answering that out loud. I feel like somebody just dropped it online. Um, but, but that, they're going to have your bend because that's where you went. But, but we need to remember that we have to fix our minds on the gospel, fix our minds on God's words. That's what we're supposed to think. What do I do? Watch what happens in Philippians chapter two, kind of as we continue on in verses three and four. He says, Paul says this, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others, right? So, so, so this, this, is, this is pretty uh, incredible. Like if you look at the word where he says selfish ambition, now that is the word where we get our word mercenary from, okay, mercenary from. And if you know anything about mercenary, they generally have kind of a negative connotation. It's a soldier that will go and fight for another country for pay. Not because his heart is in it, not because he's called to it, because he can get the cash. Like this is what a mercenary does. Now Aristotle took this word and he used it to refer to self-seeking pursuit of political office by unfair means. Let me say this again. Paul used this word, selfish ambition. It's a word that means mercenary. Aristotle used it as a word that says, a self-seeking pursuit of political office by unfair means. Who, who does that describe? Both sides, let's be honest. We think it describes one side or the other, but it describes both. He uses the word vanity here. What does vanity say? Look at me. Look at me. Self-seeking pursuit. Tell me the Bible's not practical. Right? This speaks right to where we are living. Man, this one pursuit, this self-seeking pursuit, whether in politically or personally, man, it has destroyed the world. This is why we're in the state that we're in. It's because as we know that pride and selfishness, that we have tried to do our own thing and we've sought our own gain and it's, and it's wreaked nothing but havoc and destruction. And I just think that Paul was genius to write this for us for today. Self-seeking pursuit of political office by unfair means. Now let me just, 
let me just let me just say this. Like I think one of the one of the conversations that I've heard and had and read and is that you know we're gonna they did this because they did that. You've heard this, right? You know, they did this, they rioted, they, because they did this right, or they were treated this way when they rioted, but this team was treated differently when they were, and we, we hear this all the time. And let me just say, there comes a point where you have to look at this and just say, hmm, you know, I can remember, I can remember when I was a kid. And I can remember that uh, my mom would say, hey, why did you hit Chet Barnes, your best friend? And I would say, because he hit me first. And what did my mom say? Oh, okay, it's okay? No, she wouldn't. She would say, quit acting like a child. Two wrongs don't make a right. And if we look at this, this is kind of what it looks like. This is childish. And there comes a point where adults have to stand up and take some responsibility. But we, we come up and we take responsibility. I mean, we respond, not react. Somebody say amen right there. Like, like we have to respond, not react to what we think someone's did wrong. And here's what Paul is saying. He's like, hey, figure out how to turn the temperature down. Like, how do you turn the temperature down in this, in this volatile situation that we find ourselves in? And you'll say, well, you know, we can say both sides are wrong and we'll acknowledge that. We'll say, but that side's more wrong than my side. It's kind of how that goes. But if we acknowledge that, that we're not supposed to be self-seeking, and he goes on, he talks about this idea of humility in there. He talks about having the same love, being of one mind, no selfish ambition, no conceit. Look at me. But in humility, count others as more significant than yourselves. Don't look out for your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, when you think about humility, humility is a hard one, isn't it? Because it doesn't mean you think less of yourself. It just means, it doesn't mean that you think less of yourself. You just think about yourself less. You've heard this? Right? It just means I don't think about myself all the time. It's not always about me. And if you want to work on humility, and, and that would probably be a good thing to work on, you don't, you don't say, I'm trying to be more humble. Because who's that focused on? You, right? Or you don't, you don't ever anybody say, I'm just a humble, humble person. You know what that person is not? Humble. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And in Greek culture, humility was not a valued character trait. Not valued at all. So when Paul says use humility, this was completely antithetical to everything that their lives were about. Their lives looked a little bit more like pro sports. Look at me. Watch me. I'm great. Show me the money. Like that's what it felt like in Greek culture. But Paul's saying, no, 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 no. Humility. You know what humility looks like? Teachability. Teachability looks like, oh, I, I could learn something. Like when someone criticizes you, do you immediately just bow up and get defensive? Or do you step back and disarm them? And one way to turn down the temperature is to learn how to disarm people. It's not to try to always defend your position, be defensive. You know, if you're defensive, probably there's nobody in your life who's helping you grow. Do you know this? Like some of you, I can remember that my dad sometimes could be a little firm. I'm like, I'm not going to go and ask him about this, Right. I'm not going to go and ask him about this. I'm not going to go and point this out to him. And, so if, and if that's your personality where you have some blind spots and nobody's pointing them out, it's probably because you get defensive or you really start to lash out at people and you're not teachable in spirit. We have to be teachable. We can't be defensive. We got to learn to disarm people for the power and the sake of the gospel, Paul is saying. And, and notice he says this. He says, don't only look out for your own interests, but for the interests of others. Now, he doesn't say don't look out for your own interest, does he? It's kind of a given you're going to have some of that in you. 
But he's saying also we need to prioritize looking out for other people first. Now the word that he uses here for count, counting others is, um, in, in verse 3 when he says count others is more significant than yourself. You know what count means? It means lead the way. It means somebody's got to go first. And nobody in our country seems to be willing to go first. Amen. Like nobody seems to be willing to say, let's work this out. Nobody seems to be willing to reach across the aisle. And I would just say, man, if you're in the political system and you've been elected to office, I'm asking you to reach across the aisle. Man, I'm asking you to go first. Take the responsibility. You've been wronged, I'm sure. You've been criticized. I can't imagine running from office in this, in this culture. Can you? In this environment, in this temperature? I mean, we need people in leadership who will go First, that's what Paul is saying. Because if nobody will go first, then everybody's going to be last. Everybody's going to suffer for it. Now, our duty to our country, Paul, I think what Paul is saying, can't outweigh our duty to, to our fellow man. It can't outweigh our duty to God. When he says count others is more significant. Don't look out for your own interests, but for the interests of others. Now, now we, here's what makes this a little difficult for somebody who follows Jesus. I personally have the gift of always wanting to be right. Anybody else in here? I personally have the gift of wanting you to go first. <laughs> I, I, I personally like having the upper hand. But when it comes to following Jesus, man, our hands are tied into that, right? And they're tied to the cross, just like his were. We don't get that luxury. Man, we don't get that opportunity. And we need to learn what it means to go first, Paul says. Let me ask you this question, man. Well, I'll I'll wait and save it for a second. Let's go into verse 5. Verse 5 says this. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Now think about it. He's like, have this mind, have this mind, have this mind. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of God. Of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death. Now, now this is you know one of the great descriptions of what Jesus did and kind of what he calls us to do. When he says, I have this mind among you, this think the way that Jesus did, the why behind the what. He says, though he was he was God, right? He was God, we know this, that he came, he walked with us, that, that he came to show us what God was like. And even though he was God, he didn't look at it as something to be leveraged for his benefit. He didn't look at being God as something to be leveraged for his benefit. But what did he do? Man, he emptied himself out by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself, obedient to the point of death, man. He didn't leverage himself. Now, here's what Jesus knew. He knew that, that, that he came for us for a very specific reason. He knew that there's no code, no law, no rule, no regulation that could change a human heart. Somebody say amen right there, right? There's no rule. As a matter of fact, sometimes what rules do is just make you break the rules. How many rule breakers in here? Like none, let's go, right, okay. Like some of you, if there's a rule, like I'm gonna break that, I don't even want to, but I'm gonna break that rule because it's a rule and I'm a rule breaker, that's what I do. Like when my daughter was growing up um, and she's amazing, I would tell her, at least break rules that matter, you know? Don't break them just because they're rules, break rules because they matter. And so, but Jesus knew this, hey, there's no rules that can fix this problem. 
that we have a sin problem, a selfishness problem, a darkness problem, that we have a, a problem of people trying to live for themselves. And he says, hey, hey, that laws and rules will not work. So what does he do? He comes here. He comes here to identify with us, to show us how to live, to be with us and pours himself out for us so that we could be transformed and changed and different because he knew the rules couldn't work. It reminds me a little bit of this story of uh, the show, just a little bit, just a little bit, Undercover Boss. Anybody seen Undercover Boss? Right? Anybody over here seen Undercover Boss online? You seen Undercover Boss? Okay, Undercover Boss, just a very simple show that the CEO of some big company, large company, that they come and they kind of get in an entry-level job. And they do some of the grunt work. They do some of the things they forgot even happened. And they begin to meet people along the way. And they meet single moms who are working two jobs trying to provide for their kids and don't know how to get childcare. And they meet people who are, you know, just working on an education to, to start this entry-level job, but then are hoping to, to do better later. They meet people who's, you know, who has a spouse who has cancer and is sick and they don't know what to do. They meet parents who can't afford to send their kids to college. And then they begin to get sympathy for them, right? And what do they do at the end of the show? They call them all in one at a time and they reveal to them that they are actually the CEO of the company, not just comp, some common entry level worker. And what do they do? And they give them something extravagant, right? They'll send their kids to college. They'll send them on vacation to Disneyland. They'll pay their mortgage for the next 10 years. Man, they do something extravagant. Now, Jesus didn't necessarily need to be with us to understand exactly the challenges we went to, but this is exactly what happened. He came to be with us and then he gives us something extravagant. He gives us grace. Come on, somebody. He gives us life. He gives us freedom. He gives us a future. He gives us hope. He gives us the desires of our heart. This is what he does. Man, he emptied himself and he calls us to follow that example. Like this is the example that we're to follow. We're to follow Jesus' example that he poured himself out for other people. He didn't power up on people. Now we live in a culture that loves to power up. You know what I mean by that? Any power up people in the house? None. Okay, that's good. Um, I'll go to the next point. Now, have you ever been on the phone with somebody, maybe a retailer, maybe your internet company, maybe your cell phone provider, and you couldn't get what you wanted? And you said this, I want to speak to your supervisor. What'd you just do on them? You powered up on them, right? We power up on people. You ever been at the airport, going to fly out, flights got delayed, weather patterns are pre preventing regular travel, and, you and there's people up at the counter talking to the ticket agent, just ripping them apart. You ever seen this? As if they could do something about the weather. Come on. And what are they doing? They're powering up on people. Jesus says, don't do that, right? He says, we need to pour our lives out for people. And this is because this is what he did for us. Jesus poured out for us when he could have powered up on us. What about you? You power up? Or do you pour out? Like what's your natural reaction, your natural response? Do you power up or do you pour out? Now, in the, in the next few verses, I mean, he kind of closes out like, like what's going to happen? You know, and, and that's a question that I have about our current circumstances. Like what's going to happen? How is this going to play itself out? You know, what's going to happen? And if we're citizens of heaven, man, we know the end, Right? We know the end. We know what this looks like. Watch what it says about Jesus. In verse, um, in verse 9, it says this, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Right? This is what's going to happen. Like there's coming a day that we need to remember when the kingdom will flourish in all its fullness. Amen, somebody? 
Man, there's coming a day and it won't come about by an election. It won't come about by riots in the street. It won't come about by protests. It won't come about by the electoral college. It won't come about by us deciding. It will come about because God decides. Man, and our king, yeah, our king is coming back. And that Jesus himself, his name is above every name. Think about this. Man, it's above every name. It's above the White House. It's above Main Street. It's above Wall Street. It's above Pennsylvania Avenue. It's above every single name. And and we can't get caught up and not remember this. We can't get caught up thinking that this country is what's going to save us. Hey, let me just give you a little history lesson. Countries don't last forever. Y'all remember this part of history? (laughs) Countries don't last forever. And that shouldn't scare us. Shouldn't shake us. Shouldn't distract us. Because Jesus does. He proved it by raising from the dead. What more evidence do we need? And there's coming a time when he's going to come back. There's coming a time when he's going to sit on the throne. And there's coming a time when no matter what has happened, God's going to make right. And guess what's going to happen to us then? We're going to look back at all the things we worried about. All the things we spent money on. All the, all the time we wasted Man, all the binge watching that we did, all the fretting that we did, all the arranging that we did, we're going to look back on that and say, wow, that was a waste. That was a waste because he's coming back. Man, the end of the story looks like him coming back in victory to establish his kingdom in fullness. This is what it's going to look like for us. And we have to ask ourselves, if that's the case, man, if he's coming back, like, like what, what do we do that honors him? How do we honor Jesus in the midst of this? Do we honor him by wringing our hands and wondering and worrying and stressing out? Man, or do we honor him by fixing our eyes that we're a citizen of heaven? Citizens of heaven look different, don't they? They live upside down lives. They know that the first will be last and the last will be first. Man, they know, they know that what looks like a loss got turns into a win. This is what they know. They know that what happens later is more important than what happens today. So we have to live for that hope that God give us, gives us. Man, we are citizens of heaven. You know, there's coming a day. There's coming a day. The Bible says this, and I love this part of the story. I talked a little bit about last week. Man, there's coming a day. Well, there'll be no more tears. Somebody say amen. There'll be no more sorrow. There'll be no more oncology departments. There will be no more morgues. There'll be no more foster homes. There'll be no more hospitals. Man, there'll be no more ambulances. There will be no more tears, no more sadness, no more sorrow. There'll be no more anxiety. There'll be no more riots. There'll be no more protests. There'll be no more need for any of that. Why? Man, because there's a name that's above every name. That in his name, every knee will bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Listen, we can't forget that in these times. And we need to be a voice in times of chaos. We need to turn down the temperature in our own lives so that we can turn down the temperature in other people's lives. We need to pour out and not power up. And we need to go first. So we want to close out our service today by worshiping the name that's above every name. Bow your heads and let's pray together.
now as we pray, I just, man, let's just take a moment just to evaluate our hearts. Man, we want to be a people who, that the Bible, man, it just exposes the areas where we need growth and where we need to, uh, and we need more faith and where we need more hope. And so God, as we, we do that, Lord, I just pray you'd expose in our lives the areas where you just want to bring peace, where you want to remove anxiety, God. And, Lord, and in the room, as we just bow our heads and just really still and online, just really still, this may be your problem today. Man, you've never become a citizen of heaven. You've never stepped into what it means to live for eternity. You've just lived for now, for what's next, for, for the momentary, but you've never really stepped into what it means to live for eternity. And the Bible says that there's going to come a day when every knee will bow, but what needs to happen today is your knee needs to bow. And something in your heart needs to happen. Something in your heart needs to change. Something in your heart needs to come to follow Jesus today because you, you haven't ever done that. And so today, the way that you do that is just by bowing your heart to him and just saying in your own words, in your own heart, dear God, I am selfish. I've gone my own way. Forgive me for my sin. Grant me new life. Let me be a citizen of heaven. You know, and the Bible says that when we do that, when we step into that, and that we are new creations, that we are new citizens, we get a new passport. And that passport is stamped, child of God. And man, if that's you, I just wanna, just wanna give you an opportunity today to respond to that. The way that we do that here is just as we continue to pray, if that's you today, to make that first step, I'm just going to invite you. As I count to three, I'm going to invite you just to slip your hand in the air. If you're in the room or whether or not you're online, just to slip your hand in the air on the count of three. One, two, three. Just to slip your hand in the air. Yes, thank you, Lord. God, we want to be solutions in a world of problems. And we want to be a light in a world of darkness. And we want to be hope in a world of hopelessness. We want to be an encouragement in a world of despair. We want to be comfort in a world of pain. God, we want to be healing in a world of brokenness. And God, that we would always be that. God, that we'd be a church that just steps into the moments that are real and happening right now so that people can know that you're actively involved in our lives and that we would continue to be shaped and formed by your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. If you would, let's stand together. Let's close out by worshiping.